Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Limud Yoimi. It says in the Pasuk, Loi Selech Rachel Ba'amecho, Loi Samoid Al Damreyecha Ani Hashem. You shall not be a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand aside while your fellow's blood is shed. I am Hashem. Vayikra 19.16 Many of the commentators try to understand the connection between the first and second sections of this verse. What is the relationship between being a gossip monger and not standing aside when your brother's blood is being shed? The Arachayim explains that there is a very important lesson here concerning misplaced priorities. The Torah tells us that one may not be a gossip monger. Thus, one might say, although I know that someone is plotting to kill my friend, I will not tell him, so as not to be a gossip monger. The Torah is teaching us that in such a case, one must tell the subject of the plot about the danger he is in, so he can take the necessary steps to protect himself. Darachayim concludes that this lesson is illustrated by the story of Gedaliah ben Achikam. When he was told about the plot to kill him, not only did he refuse to believe it, he considered it an outright falsehood and did not even take precautions to protect his life. This was because he considered the first half of the verse not its clothing, not its closing. The result was catastrophic. Thousands of people died, and the last hope of the Jewish people then, living in Eretz Yisrael, was exhausted. The Mesilas Yesharim in chapter 20 uses this incident as an example of what can happen when one does not fully consider the possible outcome of his actions. He says that something, he says that sometimes someone will do something that at first glance appears to be a positive act. Further inspection, though, reveals that the aftermath of the action is negative. He explains that this was Gedalia's error, and the reason why the Torah attributes the blame for all the deaths that resulted, including his own, to him. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah 18b, in discussing the fast of Gedalia, notes that the death of a tzaddik, a righteous person such as Gedalia, is comparable to the destruction of the Holy Temple. Rabbi Avigdor Miller's Atzal explains, Years of great effort are needed to build a sanctuary, and its benefits to the world are immense. But even more effort must be expended to develop a truly righteous man, and his death is an even greater loss than the burning of the sanctuary. We may ask, if this is the case, why do we not, why do we not fast every time that a righteous man dies? The Maharsha explains that this is impossible. We would be fasting every day of the year. He explains that this particular death of Gedalia ben Achikam was particularly tragic for two reasons. In this case, Gedalia was killed by Ishmael, son of Nisanya, and this ultimately caused the remnant of the Jews in Israel to defy Hashem's word and go to Egypt. Additionally, it took place during the ten days of repentance when Yishmael should have repented from his plan. Tzom Gedalia comm commemorates the final blow in the disaster that was the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash. It is very appropriate that this fast takes place during the Aser Simei Teshuva, a time of repentance. The days of Elul and Tishrei are days when Hashem comes close to us. The destruction of the Beis HaMikdash was a result of Hashem distancing Himself from us. Siluk Shechina 
It is thus appropriate to beseech Hashem for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash during this particular time as a means of maintaining our closeness with Him. Mishnah of the Day, Avais 419 This Mishnah touches on, this, on the question of why tragedies befall the righteous, while many wicked people enjoy lives of tranquility and even luxury. This issue goes to the very root of faith, to the foundation upon which the Torah rests. In the opinion of many commentators, the entire book of Eiv was written to discuss this topic in detail. While it is clearly beyond the scope of this work to plumb the depths of this issue, for those who would like to pursue it further, there follows a selection of relevant sources. You can look in Job and its commentaries, especially Ramban and Malbim, Ribsadia Gain and Amunas Vedeya is 5.3, Rambam, Marie Nevochim, 316, 17, 22 through 24 and 51. Ramban, Shar HaGimel, first section. Chavis Alvavais, Shar 3. Derech Hashem 2, chapters 2 and 3. Mechtav Melio 1, 19 through 23. Rabbi Yanai Oimer, says, Ein biodenu, it is not in our hands to explain. Noimi Shavas Arishayim, Neither the tranquility of the wicked, the afloi mi nor even the suffering of the righteous. Gems from the Gemara. The Gemara in Bracha 7a, expounding upon Shemais chapter 33, considers the question of whether even Maisha possesses the, possessed the knowledge of an explanation of the tranquility of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. The Gemara begins by recording Rabbi Yechanan's statement in the name of Rabbi Yaisi and that Maisha made three requests of God that were then granted to him. One of these requests was that God explain his ways with regard to dispensing judgment. Make your ways known to me. The Gemara explains that Maisha asked, Master of the universe, what is the reason that there are righteous people for whom things are good, while there are righteous people for whom things are bad? Moreover, why are there wicked people for whom things are good, while there are wicked people for whom things are bad? The Gemara then suggests that to this request, God responded thus, Maisha, a righteous person for whom things are good, is a righteous person, the son of a righteous person. Whereas a righteous person for whom things are bad, is a righteous person, the son of a wicked person. A wicked person for whom things are good, is a wicked person the son of a righteous person, whereas a wicked person for whom things are bad is a wicked person the son of a wicked person. The Gemara, however, rejects the connection between one's parentage and one's lot in life. The rejection is based on an analysis of two verses. One verse states, Visiting the sins of the father upon the sons, while another verse states, in Devarim 24.16, Uvanim layumsu alavais, and sons shall not be put to death because of their fathers. The first verse intimates that sons are punished because of their father's sins, whereas the other verse states that they are not punished because of their father's sins. The rabbis resolved this apparent contradiction by explaining that the verse stating that sons are punished because of their father's sins refers to cases in which the sons retain their father's sinful practices whereas the verse stating that sons are not punished because of their father's sins refers to cases in which the sons do not retain their father's sinful practices. 
It is thus clear that a righteous son who does not follow the sinful ways of his father is not punished for the sins of his father. Accordingly, how can it be said that a righteous person for whom things are bad is a righteous person the son of a wicked person? The Gemara concedes this point and offers another suggestion. God said to Maisha that a righteous person for whom things are good is a completely righteous person, whereas a righteous person for whom things are bad is a righteous person who is not completely righteous. Conversely, a wicked person for whom things are good is a wicked person who is not completely wicked, whereas a wicked person for whom things are bad is a wicked person who is completely wicked. The Gemara then notes that Rabbi Meir disagrees with Rabbi Yaisi. Rabbi Meir maintains that only two of Maisha's requests are granted to him, whereas the request that God explain his ways with regard to dispensing judgment was not granted to him. It is stated, And I shall show favor to whom I choose to show favor, implying that a person may be favored even though he may be unfit to be shown favor. Moreover, the verse continues, And I shall show mercy to whom I choose to show mercy, implying that a person may be the subject of Hashem's mercy even though he may be unfit to be shown mercy i.e. at a particular moment, God may decide to have mercy even on an unworthy person. Rashi Thus, something, thus sometimes even a completely wicked person will prosper, and we will be unable to fathom why. Rabbi Meir therefore concludes that the issue of why good things befall bad people and vice versa remains a mystery. Rabbi Meir's opinion in Brachas appears to parallel that of Rabbi Yana in our Mishnah. Moreover, the Ramban, in his, in his introduction to Eiv, apparently holds that even Rabbi Yechinon's distinction between a completely righteous person and a partially righteous person is only a partial answer and was not meant to be a definitive explanation. He points out that there have been impeccably righteous individuals who have nevertheless been subject to unspeakable agonies, such as Job himself. A Musr thought for the day. Mordechai Schwab, Maimer Mordechai, Mordechai 1.5, is puzzled by the timing of the fast of Gedalia. Why do we begin the new year with fasting and mourning? We know that the custom, based on Hiraya's 12a, is to eat sweet foods on Rosh Hashanah Eve, symbolizing the upcoming year's pro, um, propitiousness, propitiousness. Why do we commemorate the fast of Gedalia at the beginning of the new year, as it is certainly something that can only be interpreted as a negative omen. Rabbi Schwab explains that the lesson to be learned from commemorating the fast of Gedalia is so important that it must be observed even immediately at the beginning of the year. Gedalia, son of Achikam, had been appointed by the king of Babylonia to rule over the remnants of the Jews in Eretz Yisrael after the destruction of the first Beis Amikdash. This positive development after the preceding great tragedy gave hope to many Jews who were dispersed in other lands. The verse in Yirmiyah 40.12 tells us, So the Jews returned from all, over the, from all the places where they had been dispersed, and they came to the land of Judah, to Gedalia, in Mitzpah. At that point, Gedalia was made aware of an assassination plot directed against him. Verse 14, they, officers of the army, said to him, Do you know that Balas, 
king of the children of Ammon, has sent Yishmael, son of Nisanya, to assassinate you? The verse tells us Gedalia's reaction. But Gedalia, son of Achikam, did not believe them. Gedalia was approached in verse 15 by Yechanan, son of Kareach, who offered to kill Yishmael, ben, who offered to kill Yishmael son of Nisanya. Yechanan told Gedalia, why should he kill you and then all of Judah who have gathered to you will be scattered and the remnant of Judah lost? Gedaliah refused to believe his advisors and responded to Yechanan in verse 16. Do not do this thing for you are speaking falsely about Yishmael. Ultimately, the plot turned out to be true, and Yishmael and his men killed Gedaliah and all the Jews who were with him. This was the death blow for the Jewish population in Eretz Yisrael, who subsequently dispersed and thousands of them died. Strangely, in verse 9, the blame for the deaths is placed on Gedaliah, a seeming aberration, considering that he was the victim. The Gemara Nida 61a takes note of this quandary, and explains that Gedaliah is faulted for the deaths because he should have been suspicious of Yishmael because of Yechanan's accusations. The Gemara, based on this event, generalizes that even though one is forbidden to believe gossip, one is still required to be watchful upon hearing it. Had Gedaliah been careful, he would not have been killed, changing the course of Jewish history for the better. Rabbi Schwab concludes that there is a wondrous lesson here. Because Gedaliah was unfamiliar with a single halacha, he and, thousand, and thousands of others were killed. This was the final tragic consequence of the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. We see, he says, how important it is for everyone to know all the laws that govern Lashon Hara and gossip. Halacha of the day. Four passages are added to every Shemana Esrei prayer recited from the first Shemana Esrei of Rosh Hashanah, until the last one of Yom Kippur at Ne'ilah. 1. Zachrenu Lechayim. Remember us for life in the first blessing. 2. Micha Meicha. Who is like you? In the second. 3. Uchisayv. And, and inscribe in the second from last. And 4. Besefer Chayim. In the book of life. In the last. Should one forget any or all of these passages, the Shman Esri is nevertheless valid. And no compensation need be made for the omission. Arachayim 582.5 For these passages were composed and promulgated by the Ge'inim and do not appear in the Talmud. Mishnah Baruch 582.15 Another emendation, this one mentioned in the Talmud, Brachas 12b, changes the close of the third blessing from Akel HaKadosh, the Holy God, to HaMelech HaKadosh, the Holy King, thus emphasizing a major theme of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. God is the ruler and judge of the world. In this case, if one used the usual closing, the Shemana Esrei is not valid, and it must be recited again from the beginning. Arachayim 582.1 Unless the words HaMelech HaKadosh were added before the next blessing was started, and within the time it takes to say the seven syllables of Shalom Alecha Moiri Peace unto you, my master. See Mishnah Brua 2062, 4874, and 582.7. If one is in doubt as to whether he said the closing correctly, he must assume that he used the usual formula to which he is accustomed and must start over again. 
Mishnaburah 352.3. On Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, however, when a lengthy version of the third blessing is recited, he may assume the blessing was completed with the proper closing. Mishnaburah 582.4. Various customs have arisen concerning the end of the Shemana Esrei. Some change the closing of the final blessing from, from Hamavarech Esamai Yisrael Bashalim, who blesses his people Israel with peace, to Aisei Ashalim, who makes the peace. Others change the phrase, Aisei Shalim, he makes peace, at the end of the Shemana and the Kaddish, to Aisei Hashalim, he makes the peace. Still others make no change at all. Although, all three versions are valid. The Chazin and any mourner saying Kaddish should ascertain and follow the custom of their particular congregation. See Mate Ephraim 582.22 and Kafa Chaim 582.15. One more emendation is made in the weekday Shemana Esrei between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The close of the seventh blessing is changed from Melech Oyev Tzedakah Mishpat, King who loves righteousness and judgment, to HaMelech HaKadosh, the King of Judgment. Although this change is mentioned in the Talmud, Brachis 12b, its omission does not render the Shemana Esrei invalid. Erechayim 118.1 Question of the Day How is the fast of Tzom Gedalia referred to in Tanakh? Answer is, answer is, it is known as Tsaim Hashvi'i, the fast of the seventh month. A closer look at the Siddur. Most congregations recite Avinu Malkenu prayers during the ten days of repentance and on fast days. The original version of Avinu Malkenu was composed by Rabbi Akiva. The first verse reflects that for Avinu Malkenu Chatanu Lefanecha has the same numerical value, Gematria, as Akiva ben Yosef Yesadahu. Akiva, son of Yosef, arranged it, Rabbi Yaakov Emden. Akiva is an acceptable variant of Akiva. Akiva with a hay is an acceptable variant of, of Akiva with an aleph. Iun Tfila explains the terminology used, Avinu, our father, Malkenu, our king. This entire prayer has the term, our father, our king, repeated at the beginning of each verse, signifying that whether we are to be considered as children of Hashem or as his slaves, we hope for the mercy of our father and await the favor of our master. A Jew becomes fully obligated in the laws of the Torah when he reaches the age of 13 or when she reaches the age of 12. Until that time, one is like a child to our Father in Heaven, not yet obligated to serve Him. Once the age of majority is reached, the Jew becomes a vessel to his Master, our King. Accordingly, the first verse of Avinu Malkeinu prayers, Avinu Malkeinu Chatanu Lefanecha, Our Father, our King, we have sinned before you, is referring to the sins one has committed both as a child and as an adult. Although a child is not punished for the sins he or she has committed, the sins do still affect one's soul, just as an adult's unintentional sin still requires atonement. There is a discussion among the authorities as to the intent of this verse. Is it intended as a confession, or is it merely a prayer asking for mercy because of our shortcomings? The difference between the two would determine the permissibility of reciting this verse in Rosh Hashanah, for we do not confess our sins on Rosh Hashanah 
out of fear of the Day of Judgment. The Shalah is of the opinion that it is a confession, but maintains that as long as one does not do so during Shemayna Esrei, one is permitted to confess his sins on Rosh Hashanah. The prevailing custom is to recite the verse, Sishol Chanarach Arachayim 584.1 and Magin Avram there. Indeed, Gillian Hagriv notes that although there is a custom to strike one's chest whenever reciting this verse, one should not do so on Rosh Hashanah so as not to appear to be reciting the verse with the intent of confessing one's sins. The Mishnah Brura 584.3 quotes an interpretation of the first three verses of Avinu Malkenu that obviates the problem. He explains that in the first verse, we note our ancestors' sins and confess for them that they were idolaters. As it says in Vayikra 2640, Then they will confess their sin and the sin of their forefathers. We continue by saying that as far as we are concerned, We have no king but you. Therefore, Deal kindly with us for your name's sake. Since, according to this interpretation, we are not mentioning our own sins, we may recite this first verse on Rosh Hashanah. Thank you so much for learning with me, the Limud Yaimi. Have a great, have an easy fast, have a meaningful fast. Thank you for listening.